and it's about time for true crime hey hi how are you guys going stop time (laughs) zam okay god um how are you guys doing how's your week tell us everything um how's your boss how's your coworker? how is your week after thanksgiving is it so dull being back i know did you guys take time off um do you have to travel? How was that? You get home safe? You okay? Do you guys have snow? How are your pets? Oh, the pod pets. Send a picture yeah. of the pod pet. And if they're in a little turkey costume, so be <gasps> it. Oh, what are your pet's favorite winter activities? Newton's is laying on the heated blanket. Oh. Um, he also really loves hiding under the tree and refusing to come out whenever I want pets, which I think is rude. Um Mia's is um, climbing in the Christmas tree, which mm-hmm. she's begun a little early this year. Ooh. Thank you. Um, and knocking down some ornaments and then using them as like soccer balls and I then, you know, finding them in the bathroom, which is really cool because <laughs> like there's nothing like waking up in the morning and almost stepping on the hook of Bless. an ornament. Yeah. Yeah. Which yes. is just really cool. Um, so she loves that. Mm. But she also, I think when the tree is like plugged in and lit up, she likes the warmth under the tree of the yeah. lights. So she loves to nap there. But then, of course, something twinkles and gets, you know, distracts her. And then she starts swiping at things. And all of a sudden, I'm worried the tree's coming down. So we literally have ours um, held up. Like tethered to the wall? Yes. I love Uh, that. With fishing string or wire or whatever that that. is. I don't fish. So fishing line. (laughs) What? Fishing line? Yeah. Fishing wire. I said string or wire. (laughs) (laughs) neither those are right both are incorrect uh ali and i are both still sick so you are getting a lively crew tonight but we are also like kind of day quilled so you might be getting a nice little love we're not uh we're not covid sick no 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 we're Um, just a little congested and headachey but a little yeah nyquil drunk i would say yeah yeah um and sometimes that's just what it is that's it's the time of year it's the season it's christmas time it is dark before freaking 2 p.m so yeah it's you leave for work dark come home from work dark look outside somehow still dark yeah so um, get up in the morning the sun is just peeking up through the clouds when you're rolling into work and then it's just falling below the skyline as you leave. Yes. So depressing. Which makes me feel like as soon as I get home, I need to get in my pajamas and be ready for bed. Don't know why. No, because when the sun is up, I'm up. And when the sun's asleep, I'm asleep. I know. So if the sun doesn't have to be up, why do I? I know. I don't want to have to clean my house in the dark. I don't. I don't I'm want not to. wired like that. I can't. And I know that it's so like that doesn't make sense and if it needs to get done you just need to get it done no I can't. no i'm with you that's like we were talking I'm about a, i'm like solar mid-week. powered <laughs> like midweek i can't yeah i can't on a wednesday no i can't clean my house on a wednesday or clean one room because then by the time i clean the next one the kitchen's dirty again and, and then, then now i'm I gonna just do depressed. them all yeah oh yeah no. i'm depressed <laughs> <laughs> well i mean that's all that's a given that's just like a fun little sprinkle <laughs> on top of everything but i just mean I don't understand how people can clean one room at a time because it's constantly dirty then to me. Mm -hmm. Like if you clean it all at one time, at least you get a length of it being clean, of everything being clean and Mm -hmm. happy. But if you're doing one room at a time, there's never that sense of like, (sighs) you never get to just like light the candle, crack the window and like chill with a blanket to a clean house. You don't have that. Yeah. 
especially in the summer like a late summer's evening mm-hmm. you just clean the house the stove is like fucking spotless and mm-hmm. you know what i mean like it's never gonna be the burners but like the stove spotless mm-hmm. there's like a nice little candle going the windows open there's something on tv and you just like make some little popcorn and grab your little ice water and take a little sit on the couch and mm-hmm. cozy up and like <sighs> nothing better yeah there's nothing like having to wait nine months for that again wow thanks uh so i'm gonna go up my zoloft <laughs> <laughs> glad i could help get you through thanks um no well, seriously mental health is important you guys take care of you no it if, is seriously take care of you if you do need zoloft and you do need to up your dose which some of us have just recently done at me um totally fine do your thing it happens uh you got to take care of you and you're the only one who's gonna do it so um you know use this as a little loving um atftc fam scolding to damn it love yourself enough to take care of yourself that was so uplifting that was for my mom my mom always says that you gotta love yourself enough to take care of yourself i love that so do it thanks um, mrs apple dabble <laughs> mrs apple dabble you're so sweet yes um, well, you just made that like super up- uplifting and happy and everything. Yeah. And I'm going to stomp on it Ooh. with the case today. Can it be like a hot little like stiletto stomping to put out like a cigarette twisting it underneath? No, this is like a snowshoe stomp oh. on Christmas Day. I was kind of hoping for more style than that. But I do like Christmas Day. That is like very um, vogue. Yeah, you're not going to like it this killer. time. Yeah, oh, no. Damn. Okay. All right. Just, you know, crush my dreams. Okay. Let me. <laughs> so today yes. we are going to be talking about the murder of Ed and Minnie Marin. Okay. Ed and Minnie. Oh, they sound like a cute old couple. And they are. They're an adorable <gasps> no. old couple. Yeah. Oh. And we're going to jump back in time and out west to them. So we're going to start first with Minnie. So Minnie was actually born Wilhelmina. Okay. Mary Kirby's. I don't know if it's like Wilhelmina. Okay. Wilhelmina. Right. There are well, some different pronunciations. But anyway, she never went by that ever. She went exclusively by Minnie her whole life. I don't really blame her. No offense. But I get it. Uh, yeah. That's why I'm like Mina, Minnie. Like I think there's something in there. Yeah. But anyway, adorable name. Love it. And she was born Christmas Day in 1901. And she was born in Roseland, Nebraska. And then in 1923, at the age of 22, she married a man named Louis George Hadler. Louis. Well, his name was like Aloysius. Okay. So we went by Louis. <laughs> so yeah. They both have their chosen names that they went by. That must have been a nice little bonding moment for them on like their second date when they were like, oh, you have no idea how annoying my full name is. Mm-hmm. And then they both were like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, me too. No, I doubt that's probably what they talked about. But together, they lived in Washington State and they had four kids. Now, unfortunately, one of their children named Joseph died at just five years old. Oh. Or excuse me, five days old. Oh. I know. So that's, I mean, they're both bad. It's It's awful. It's heart crushing. Yeah. Yeah. Five days. And so the only reason that I know any of this is because I found all of their obituaries. And their obituaries are not really long it really just has like date of birth date they died where they're buried where they were born not a whole lot about them so i couldn't really find much on louis um and later they divorced so 
Louis is not the main character in here, but it's important, I think, to note that when Minnie and Ed married in 1961... Um, it was a second marriage, and there were already kids coming in. Correct. Okay. But Ed took to those kids as if they were his own. They were a little bit older by that time. They all looked up to him as a great stepdad. Oh. Um, and so the remaining three children that survived were Delbert, Dennis, and Hazel. Delbert, and Dennis, and Hazel. Yes, and they okay. all went on to live long, happy lives. Delbert is a fun name. I it's different. I haven't heard that one in a while. I don't think I've heard it at all. I don't know why I said a while. I also have never heard it, but I like it a lot. Well, I guess it's been a while, right? Because it's been like never. Yeah, that's fair. It's so been a good long while. It's been a very <laughs> long while. A little bit about Ed. He was born June 11th, 1904 and lived in Washington State his whole life. Oh, so he was so, younger than her. Yeah, a little bit. So we're going to fast forward to their later years because that's really where the story takes place. Okay. And gets sad. Okay. So, Ed and Minnie owned a Christmas tree farm. Are you kidding me? That's like straight out of a fucking Taylor Swift lore. Okay. That's, that's a, it's a fairy tale. It's beautiful. And it was on their property. They lived in Ethel, Washington, and they were very active in their church. They had a lot of friends. They were very, very, very close with their kids and their grandkids they were loved by their community, and they were described, as they always are, as kind, loving, honest people. And all of their kids and grandkids also lived, like, in their same county. They lived in Lewis County. Mm. So no one was really that far away. So, unfortunately, this is where all hell breaks loose, and we're going to jump to 1985. Okay. 1985, so they're 81 and 84? 81 and 83, because no, we're not it, quite yet at Minnie's birthday. But we're almost there. And remember, Minnie's it's birthday Christmas is Christmas Day. Day. So we're at December 19th. Oh, okay. So we're one week out from Christmas, from her birthday, from all the fun family time they're going to have. And Minnie was hosting this holiday luncheon for their church. Okay. And... This was at their oh. home, so everyone was going to come over. It was kind of like potluck style. Everyone's bringing food. And one by one, these people start to show up. Yeah. And, you know, they go, oh, hi, how are you? You know, they do little yeah. pleasantries, and they go up to the door, and they knock on it. And no one comes to the door, and so they knock again, and no one comes to the door. And so they kind of take a little walk around the house. They're a little Aww. like, okay, like... This wasn't random. They weren't just stopping by and announced. This was a planned get-together. Minnie was super excited for it to have all her girls over. Right. And when they're walking around, they notice that all the curtains are, like, tightly drawn. Okay. Which was not very like odd. a house for hosting. Yeah. Like, it, it. they never really had their curtains closed. So they're like, okay, that's a little bit weird. Right. So then at one point, they're like, they know that we're coming over. They know that this is planned. Why aren't they coming to the door? So This is still the 19th? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is just the day of the luncheon. And so the friends are like, okay, I don't really like that. So they try to open the door and the door is locked. And okay. this was a very small, friendly town in the 80s. Nobody locked their doors. Right. And especially this couple never locked their doors. Right. So It's Ed and Minnie. The fact that their doors were locked was a red flag in and of itself. Right. And so it was at that time that they started to get kind of concerned. The friends thought okay where are they they noticed that their car wasn't there right they drove a 68 chrysler okay not in the driveway oh and they only had one car so they're like okay maybe one of them's home but you know maybe ed had gone out 
Right, right. So get where's some ice for the party or something? Yeah, right. No one could figure that out. So everyone's concerned. So then the friends call family members. So they call Ed and Minnie's kids. And I'm just going to call them Ed and Minnie's kids because really he was like he was, a dad to them anyway. I mean, he was the dad that stepped up. Yes, he was a great yeah. stepdad. I, for all intents and purposes, believe that their bio dad was still involved too. But right. I mean, it was still him going to my parents' house. So that's what I'm going to refer to it as. Okay. So they call the Marin's children, they call them, and the family is also surprised because they're like, no, they were excited to have everybody over. I don't know where they are. They're not here. Right. So then the family goes over and let themselves into the home. They must have a key or know where a spare is kept. Right. And the the home looks normal, looks fine. And then when they're walking a little bit in, they notice that there's like these bank statements that were printed and left on the table. And that was kind of weird. Because if they knew that people were coming over, they were very private people. They weren't going to have their finances sort of out on display, right? They would that would have been put away. That would have been in the drawer in whatever folder. Right. Well, I think that's pretty common in general for people to not just like leave bank statements out because privacy, Mm -hmm. but also because identity theft and also like you're hosting a party, nobody gives a fuck about the bank statement. You're gonna throw it in the junk drawer with everything else, and then put out the little like teacups. Yeah, it was just it was weird because I got the sense that they the family didn't share finances like even with their kids. Like it just wasn't right. something that was talked about. So why were they out when they were expecting company? It just seemed sort of odd. That had never been out before, and maybe they were just looking through it. But at the time, they didn't. They just that was what they noticed was sort of out of place. Right. So. You know, they wouldn't have left that out with company coming over. And then by the evening, they were like, okay, they're not here. This paper's out. They haven't come back yet. Something's wrong. Something, Something's not adding up because their car hasn't come back. They wouldn't be out this long. They probably wouldn't be out past dark. What's going on? Right. So they call the police and investigators come over and also take a look at the home. And they don't really see anything of concern either except one thing. They find Minnie's purse covered in newspaper. Yeah, that's weird. But in such a way that the newspaper was sort of folded over it like she was trying to hide it or whoever it was was trying to hide that the purse was there. Yeah, it wasn't like just precariously put there. Right. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, she just set the paper down on it. It looked like it was kind of tucked back a little bit out of sight. Newspaper covering it. Even the family didn't notice that her purse was there. It was only when investigators got there and were looking for things that looked odd that they noticed that. That was another red flag because she wouldn't have gone anywhere without her purse. Okay. So at this point, it's sort of believed to be, you know, either they're just missing. Did they roam and leave and get lost somewhere? Right. Was this a burglary? Did someone break in? And, you know, it looked like there was an attempt to conceal some things. Was this a kidnapping? So we're still in December 19th. We don't know. But... Bank statements are out, the purse was hidden, the vehicle's missing. So they dispatch search and rescue teams, patrol units, they've got volunteers out searching, family and friends are out searching. No one finds them or their vehicle. And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a 1968 Green Chrysler. Okay. Okay. I can almost picture it in my head. Yeah. And the next day, on December 20th, they receive a call that a vehicle fitting that description has been found over an hour away in this parking lot 
So investigators okay. go out, go to find out. And it's just this big sort of like big parking lot. I think maybe like a shopping mall parking lot. It wasn't okay. like, th- it wasn't abandoned. Right. Just large and vast and but seas of cars. You know, parking lots are busy at Christmas, no matter what it is. You know, people yeah. are shopping, getting those last minute gifts. But they find this car and when investigators get there the license plate matches up so they say okay this is their vehicle but it's december 20th in washington state it's freezing and also covered in frost okay so So when you try to like well when you try to peek in you can't see inside because the frost is you know the you can't <laughs> right so the police officer like scrapes some of the frost away and just peeks in just to see and he can see okay the the car's empty no one's in there okay they're not frozen to death in there so that's i guess good. that's a good thing so then he's able to look down and see that the door's actually unlocked because you, you know you're not going to open right. the door to a car that you don't know what's inside right that's like if you're a police officer 101 you're not opening or engaging with anything that you're not aware of what's in there well and also and not alone oh yeah not alone you're not just gonna barge in and you know be totally unprepared Mm -hmm. for whatever could be in there but also i mean it's the 80s cars don't not have alarms like it's not like you want to make that a ruckus while you're trying to investigate something smoothly anyway Mm -hmm. so that makes sense and so once he's confirmed, okay, nobody's in the car, and he tries the door and it opens, all right, that's good. Um, there's a blanket across the bench seat, and it's a bench seat, you know, this, Aww, it was the 60s, yeah. you know, the car's old, and it's like this reddish pink blanket, no one really thinks much of it, and he's kind of looking around, and then he sees a little bit of blood on, like, a door handle Ooh. on the passenger side. Spooky. So he's like, well, that's not right. Okay. So he moves the blanket, and there are pools and pools of blood under this blanket all across this seat oh there's blood pooled on the ground of the car there's blood on the windshield the windshield's damaged cracked okay. but you can't tell that without the frost right. initially maybe even like a snow dusting right Ugh. the dashboard is broken okay. so there's a lot of damage in this car yeah so they also find shotgun shells Hmm. so this is this is concerning yeah and so they search the trunk so they're like okay the it, they're they're not in the front or the back seat kind of expecting to maybe find the bodies unfortunately in the trunk mm-hmm. open the trunk trunk's empty not that all right <laughs> but regardless the amount of blood so they got them to a secondary location the amount of blood shotgun shells broken windshield broken dash right it's pretty quickly changing from missing persons to homicide investigation at this point so they begin interviewing family members they have to well they gotta try to figure out what's going on yeah that that scoff was not about that my thought was just like what a shitty thing to find out on the 20th of december but also like love that they have such a good community that it quickly went from missing person to homicide investigation because you don't like i don't know like i feel like sometimes you would hear something like that and depending on who the victim is and kind of their lifestyle they might go who did they hurt in that car and so i was glad that it was just quickly about let's help them well right out okay sorry anyway and so 
when they're in interviewing some family members they are ruling them out sort of one by one mm-hmm. they get to michael hadler which is minnie's grandson and he sort of catches their eye he's been arrested several times he's gotten into fights gotten into some brawls gotten some trouble with alcohol he likes to party and he's known to hang out with the wrong crowd okay this is one of their this is one of the grandsons okay And he's pretty quickly ruled out. He's the only one that sort of caught their eye in the family just based on having violent arrests. Yeah, yeah. just having violent arrests before. He's worth speaking to, asking a couple extra questions. He's got a solid alibi. They do a polygraph test. He passes. Right. He's good. So at this point, all the families ruled out. Yeah. Still want more information about who might want to hurt them, but they're not suspecting anybody that's related to them. And also, this has been released to the media. So, the, everyone knows the couple is missing. World travels quick. World. Word. World travels travel fast. <laughs> uh, travels quickly throughout the town, right? right? So, they know. But no one knows that they're dead. I mean, they haven't found anything yet. With the word traveling so much of the town, it makes it to the local bank. And a bank teller named Shirley actually calls in because she has something to say. Oh, sure. Tell us all about it. She says that she saw Ed on December 19th, which was the day that they went missing. Right. He came into the bank and withdrew $8,500. That's a lot. And he insisted that it be in cash because she was going to probably print him a bank check or something like that. He said, no, it needs to be cash. He said that he was buying a car or helping a family member buy a car. And this was his contribution. He was helping them out. Okay. And I used an inflation calculator for this. And $8,500 in 1985 is the equivalent of over $22,000 today in 2022. Uh-huh. So this was a shocking amount of money. I mean, even if it were $8,500 today, that's still an amount that you pay attention to. Right. But the expectation of that being in cash, you know, I'm taking twenty two grand out and I want it in 20s or something like that's a little much. Yeah. So Even regardless, 50s, you're like, I'm kind of running low, guy. You like, know, um, but it's, it is an odd. And so I guess apparently he had called ahead, made sure that he could withdraw that money. Okay. Went in, got the cash, insisted it be in cash, and then left. So we're putting together a little bit with the bank statements being yes. out. Okay. So we're trying to, we're trying to establish what happened that day. Right, right, right. So Shirley found this odd because, again, small town, everybody knows everybody. She knows Ed. Right. She knows Minnie. She also knows that Minnie is normally the one to go to the bank. She's normally the one to handle finances. She's normally the one that has those conversations. So it was a little bit odd for him to be the one to go in there. Right. And again, kind of odd that, you know, all of a sudden they just want to, you know, Minnie might have mentioned in passing before that. Right. Oh, my son's looking Someone, you know, my my grandkid or whatever, you know, something like that. It's the 80s. chatting. It's your little town. And so, with the cash in hand, Ed leaves the bank. Okay. Shirley would never see Ed or Minnie again. Okay. On Christmas Eve, so five days after the couple was missing, a man was driving down an old logging road in town. Okay. And this road isn't used much, and out of the corner of his eyes, he sees what he believes is a mannequin. Oh, it's never a mannequin. I wrote, it's never a mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. And so he stops. And he pulls over. and He's like, what is this? Maybe a CPR dummy. Maybe a mannequin. Right. Maybe a 
joke thing or a mask or whatever. Or one of the weird ass legs from a Christmas story movie, like all <laughs> that. Yeah. But he stops and looks and he finds the bodies of Ed and Minnie Marin. So law enforcement arrive at the scene, find that Minnie has been shot at close range in the back of her left shoulder. Holy. And Ed has been shot from behind at close range at the base of his neck. Shit. Their bodies were just dumped on the side of this old road. Now, in Ed's pants pocket, they found the receipt from the bank. But the money was nowhere to be found. All right. So, the whole community is shocked and scared. The family is distraught. Their loved ones are found dead the day before Christmas. The day before Minnie's 84th birthday. Yeah. And in such a brutal way. And then just discarded like trash on the side of a road that they probably anticipated no one going down. Right. No attempts to conceal the body. They weren't like covered in snow or covered in leaves or anything like that they weren't trying to do that very odd and so dennis one of their sons made a vow to them that he would find a way to bring them justice i mean the whole family is destroyed over this this makes me so sad it ate at the entire family and again we're getting into you know we're in holiday season right now right and you know it this is coming up on an anniversary of that, right? So it's just, think of this time of year. Think of it being excited <sighs> to get to spend time with family. And then think about the people that you care about the most being ripped from you. And just discarded, like, trash on and the side yeah, of the road. And no, found that would days later. Me. And so tips start coming in about the car that had been parked in the parking lot. I mean, that's good news. Yep. So, Took you know, a bit, but that's they... Good. Got some information about the day that the Chrysler was left in that random parking lot. Okay. And witnesses said that they saw a white man wearing jeans and an army jacket. Okay. And parked the car and got out and walked away. Can I just put a little pen here? Sure. If any of our little ATFTC fam watches New Girl, all that goes through my head is there's like a little snippet where... Um, one of the characters like has to bring a sandwich to a little girl in her like daycare and the actual dad comes in and this little girl's like a white man broke in today and he goes a white man no and he's like what did security do about it and she goes nothing and he's like typical (laughs) (laughs) that's just what goes through my head a white man walked out of the car a white man no Well, it was, except he didn't have a sandwich. Sad. It's far less um, harmless. Yeah, no. Uh. He had a um, either a short rifle or a sawed-off shotgun. Oh, shit. That's what they saw him walking away with. So then these witnesses sat with a sketch artist, and a composite was drawn up. And then that was distributed throughout the community. So that was put up, hey, have you seen this man? This man's wanted in connection to this, whatever. So, hundreds of people walk by these composite sketches, right? They're all over town. Right. One of which was Tammy Graham. Okay. Now, Tammy takes one look at this sketch, and she stops in her tracks, because she believes that this sketch is of her brother-in-law, and his name is Rick. Rick Rife, actually. And Rick is married to Tammy's sister, Robin. 
And Tammy knows Rick to be very abusive, very Ugh. aggressive, very violent, very mean. He's a nasty person. He's not a man you want to be alone in a room with. He's got a short temper. He doesn't care who he hurts. He's known to hurt animals, kill them if he wants to. Bad guy. Bad taste in my mouth. So she asks around a family, you know, like, hey, do you think that this sketch sort of looks like Rick? And her mom's like, no, would you leave that alone? He wouldn't do that. She even calls up Robin, who's Rick's wife, and is like, "Uh, did you see this? Does this look like him? She's like, no, it's not him. Leave it alone. So Tammy lets it go. She leaves it alone. She does not call in a tip. Okay. So while this is going on, investigators move on to a suspect named Jason Olster. Okay. So Jason had worked on the couple's property, cutting down Christmas trees because it was a Christmas tree farm. (laughs) The most wholesome, innocent, sweet, business they could I have i just love this couple oh and he was actually a known offender who had arrests for charges related to theft so with this being what they think is some sort of theft with the money being withdrawn and missing their eyes were sort of on him because he would right. know where the couple lives obviously would know a little bit about what their routines were and has access to them he might be invited into their home right and he's certainly close enough that like if he came up it wouldn't be surprising if they were like come on in you know right yeah and so he was actually known to wear the clothing that the man was described in wearing jeans you know work boots army jacket but it was 1985 everybody wore that yeah so that wasn't enough also He's ruled out because he's got a solid alibi. I mean, that's good. So they think they have him. They don't. So then they keep searching. By this time, years have gone by. No. Christmases, plural, have gone by. Ugh, that's the worst. Oh, it's only going to get worse. So it's now 1989. It's been four years since the murders, four Christmases, four birthdays, four years that they're grieving with no justice. Right. And two undercover police officers are posing as, like, these mobsters. Ooh, very sexy. Which I think is very cool. And to begin working with a man named Derek Williams. Now, Derek is a convicted felon. He's only 24 years old, um, which would have made him about 20 at the time of the murders. Right. If he's the one that did it. He resembled the sketch. And he was, for a brief time, actually married to a relative of, of Ed and Minnie's. So, likely to know them. And the uh, undercover police officers are trying to get him in, I'm guessing, some kind of, like, drug charge or something. Not, like, charge, but, like, drug deal or whatever. And Derek is, you know, trying to impress them. Yeah. Because he wants to work for them. He wants a job, you know, and doing whatever. So, he thinks that they're these mobsters, and they're like, all right, well, you know. He's in the market for a little, Mm -hmm. you know. But they're saying... Okay, how do we know we can trust you, though? If we're going to give you a job to do, how do we know you're going to get that done, that you're right. not going to fuck it up, and that you're not going to get caught? Or a rat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he says, basically, well, I've done it before. That's how you know you can trust me. You know that old couple that got murdered? Shit. I did that. No one knows it's me. So you know I can get shit done. So they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So they're so they start asking more questions like, oh, yeah, how'd you do that then? You know, they're thinking, all right, we got our guy, you know, and he's just singing like a bird. Yeah. 
but unfortunately yeah his story falls apart he's trying to brag about it and he's like yeah i shot them with this rifle and i killed them in that parking lot and i left them there oh no not where they were found you know he'd heard some of the details not enough so he was unknowingly so close to getting himself arrested for a double homicide that he didn't commit now say what you will about him bragging about killing an elderly couple that makes me think of my grandparents disgusting awful right but he's not the one that did it right right so none of that shit adds up he's off their list he's talking out of his ass so he might be slimy and capable of violent crime but he didn't Mm. commit this crime yeah and here's the thing i feel like that happens a lot and not necessarily like Two policemen going undercover as mobsters and trying to find someone that's telling them a false report. But I just mean, I feel like it probably would happen quite a bit that with unsolved cases, people who are trying to make a name for themselves Mm -hmm. who do not yet have any actual priors would use that and try to like, you know, kind of inflate their name a little bit. Yeah, and if he's trying to do something under the table and get involved in some kind of criminal work, it's kind of easier to say you did something that no one else has been arrested for. Yeah. So, with that, more time passes. So, now it's 1991. Mm. Oh, I feel so bad for this family. I wish I could say it's going to get better, but it will not. (laughs) So, an anonymous tip was called in saying that Rick Reif did it and encouraged law enforcement to contact Robin. Remember Robin, Tammy's sister? Yeah. Rick's wife? So, Robin and Rick were actually not married anymore. Okay. Uh, They were divorced. And law enforcement contact Robin, right? So she's no longer the wife. So in theory, she can testify. I'm just saying. Yeah. But she was actually serving time. She was incarcerated in Arizona for drug charges. Okay. Okay. So they spoke with her over the phone. She agreed to help them. She said, yes, Rick and Greg did it. She knew it. She had seen the bodies of Ed and Minnie and that they had threatened her not to say anything. So and wait, again, she was the wife. You said Rick and Greg? There was another? Yes. So Greg is Rick's brother. Okay. And we'll, we'll talk about him too. Um, Should have probably mentioned that earlier. Thought I did. Um, it's so good. Uh, you could have. And I could just also be NyQuil drunk. So. Well, hey, I appreciate it. Hey. Um, but yeah, Greg's just Rick's brother. Rick's more of the mastermind behind everything. As Got it. We'll l- kind of figure out. Like, he's the more ballsy one. But Greg and him do a lot together all right in terms of criminal endeavors thick as thieves <laughs> yeah get it so she's trying to help them help the police i mean okay and yes. she agrees to actually call greg and rick separately on a recorded line to try to get them to talk say something incriminating so Rick and Greg had actually relocated to Alaska. So remember, they're in. Oh. So the police are in Washington State. This is where the crime right. happened. But Robin's down in Arizona, and now they're up in Alaska. Yeah, and Rick and Greg are in Alaska. Okay. And so ev- again, everything's over the phone, and they just deny, deny, deny. Robin, you don't know what you're talking about. How would I know? I wasn't even there. You know, Yikes. knowing that she's baiting them a right. bit, right? And so. They can tell something's up and they say what they need to without incriminating themselves over the phone. And prosecutors know at this point that they don't have enough to bring them to court. Right. There's nothing tangible. 
Oh, that's the worst. And also, prosecutors know that Robin isn't a reliable witness on her own. Right. She's incarcerated for drug-related charges. She was using drugs at the time of the murders. Right. So they know that it was likely that she was under the influence at the time. Yeah. There's also the argument that she could be making stuff up to get herself out of incarceration. Right, or get a better deal. Yeah, try to get let out early, strike a deal, or if she's just a bitter ex-wife. I mean, they just know that... There's a lot of holes you can try to poke that would cause some reasonable doubt there for sure. And without them admitting to something on the phone to give what she's saying credit, they know that a defense attorney for Rick and Greg will just annihilate her. Yeah. So... They know that they can't do anything. Ugh. So next up, they speak with a man named Stephen Spilling. So Stephen said that he was friends with Rick and Greg and says that he had bought a shotgun and he lent it to Rick so that he could do some work to it. Now, this was illegal work to it, but he right. wanted it modified. So Stephen says that he gives Rick the gun, but Rick holds on to it for a lot longer than they agreed upon. A lot longer than it would have taken him to get that work done. Right. And then he gives it back to him. Okay. So, Stephen didn't trust them. He thought this was odd. Mm -hmm. And like an asshole, he stores this firearm at his parents' house so that it's not at his house. Rick? Stephen. Stephen, okay. So, Stephen gets the gun back. And puts it in his parents' house. Doesn't trust Rick at all. So, he's like, I'm going to hide this there. But then the parents find it and they're like, what the fuck? So, then... They find it, and they dispose of it in a lake. Oh. So I don't know what sketchy shit was Jeez, going on uh. there. But instead of turning it in or doing whatever, they just dispose of it, get rid of it. It's never recovered. They did dive teams to try to find it. It was never found. So now they don't even have a murder weapon. It's so frustrating because they tracked it, too. Like, they know... Mm-hmm where it is they just don't know where it is yep (sighs) and so steven then said that he was driving with rick and greg back in 1985 Mm -hmm. and that they had both been complaining about not having money they were pissed off they didn't have anything and they just happened to be driving by ed and minnie's home and steven like an asshole speaks up and says hey well if you want somewhere to rob uh, an old couple lives there they own a business steal from them shitbag so this is the actual first confirmation or something for law enforcement to go off of that connects rick and greg rife with ed and minnie marin right before this there's no connection other than everyone's kind of from around the same area it's a small town as they all are you know they live 20 minutes up the road but everybody lived 20 minutes up the road yeah right and steven is saying okay not only did my gun get given back to me and i didn't trust it and even back then i didn't trust them because i figured they had something to do with it right but i also remember telling them that ed and minnie lived there Mm -hmm. elderly couple own a business yeah yeah. and it's the time of year that that business is booming and could rob right so with that, investigators go to Alaska, and <sighs> they interview Rick and Greg in person. So before any interactions that they had with them or had tried to 
catch them in had been over the phone either with robin whatever this time they go in person unfortunately neither of them talk and it's a big waste of time right then robin dies oh she has a heart attack unexpectedly they were not anticipating not having her testimony but that is another huge blow to their case right of course because even though she probably wouldn't have been a super reliable witness, she coupled was an additional witness, right, coupled with other things that they're trying to put together, would have given her more credit. Right. So now we fast forward to 2002. It has been 17 years since the Jeez, murders. Um. Okay. 17 years. Ugh. No one has been charged. So Denny, who is um Dennis, who was Minnie's son. Um, hires a private investigator to also work on the case. Okay. And this PI, private investigator, uh, organizes for media outlets to continuously share this story and tip line information at every stop from Washington to Alaska. Holy So that anybody traveling between the two would have to see this, would have to see the composite sketch, would have to hear about Ed and Minnie's case. Right. And that it was unsolved. Good for him. That is work. And so, again, obviously, they're trying to get somebody to speak up that has had 17 years of silence. Right. To motivate them to put that in the forefront to make it so that they can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And that they have to say something. So, lots and lots and lots of people see this. Right. Of these people, one person in particular named Jake Shriver also sees it. Okay. So, Jake comes forward with ground baking. Baking? Ground baking? He's... He's baking ground, my guys. Mm. With groundbreaking information. And he's, like, in near tears. Tells police that on December 19th, 1985, he was in the car with his mom. He was on his way to an appointment. He was actually getting his wisdom teeth out. Aww. He was 17 years old. Oh, God. And they were driving down a road, and they noticed that the Marins' car was in front of them. They knew the Marins, maybe from church, maybe from something else. Right. And they passed their car, and Jake looks over. And this was before his surgery, which I also think is important, depending mm-hmm. on whatever drugs they give you. <laughs> right. Or whatever they gave you back in the 80s. But after my wisdom teeth were out, I was also seeing sounds and hearing colors i mean that was just a that's a weird time so not reliable then but this was before the surgery looks over and he sees a very odd group of people he sees ed marin driving in the past in the excuse me the driver's seat right he sees rick rife in the passenger seat he sees minnie and greg in the back seats and these were people that did not hang out. Yep. Okay, we've got the elderly, church-going Christmas tree farmers. And we have the very violent, very drug... Like, they... Rough. Yeah. Different crowds. Different worlds, yeah. Yeah. But... Greg and Rick were also known to use a lot of drugs, and when they use drugs, get very violent. And so, not the not the groups that you'd expect to be just spending the week before Christmas together. Yeah, it's not a... No. That's not a mix you see at one party, usually. Not at all. Yeah. And so, Jake looks over, and he makes eye contact with Greg, who's in the back. And Greg looks at him, and they sort of, like, nod to each other or whatever, and 
they think nothing of it and jake goes to his appointment right so then a week it's later his wisdom teeth out has to do the whole syringe yeah. clean out ate applesauce for a week take the antibiotics spend 17 years stressing about this and thinking it over yep yep so then a week later jake and his mom find out that ed and minnie are dead Ugh. and jake said that his mom had wanted to call the police that day and just say we this is what we saw but jake stopped her and said you saw what they did to them if you think that they wouldn't do that to us and they saw me because i made eye contact with them and waved at them oh god that that wouldn't also happen to us you know you can't so they stayed silent so then a month later rick and greg corner jake in town and threaten him and say if you say anything about what happened we'll kill you we'll kill your mom we'll kill your whole family the same way we killed them so you decide you can say something but you're next yeah so in 2002 jake's mom died of cancer Hmm. and jake said that he sort of had an epiphany that rick and greg can't hurt his mom anymore that's so sad and so it was time to come forward and he had been living with this guilt and shame for decades just weighing on him right and disclosed everything he knew i mean it was 17 years we'll call that 20 years 20 years more than half of his life he has known who murdered the sweetest people the people that he was friends with he was friends with the kids and grandkids of the marines like these weren't strangers to him yeah but was terrified of what might have happened so he tells the police and then it wasn't until 2012 so 10 years after that which was 27 years after the murders that an arrest is made in this case oh my gosh so greg had actually just passed away don't know how i feel like he was sick Okay. So it was only Rick that was still alive, still living in Alaska, and Rick gets arre- arrested. So they extradite him from Alaska to Washington and have him stand trial for the murders of Ed and Minnie Marin, and his trial was set to begin in 2013. So in this trial, prosecutors laid out the scene. They said that Rick and Greg were on the hunt for money and people to steal from, They went to the Marin's home. They took any cash or valuables that they could find, but they really weren't happy with what they found. They didn't have a whole lot there. Right. So then they demanded bank statements, saw the amount that was in the bank, kidnapped the couple in their own vehicle to go to the bank to withdraw the money. Right. And then once they had the money, drove them to this remote logging road that they didn't anticipate anybody driving down. Right. And they believed that they first shot Ed... That Minnie witnessed her husband's head almost blown off, then shot her, then just dumped the body, just dragged them out of the car, dumped them just on the side of the road with no effort to conceal them, and then dumped the car an hour away, and then go on with their lives. (sighs) Probably blew that money on drugs in a week, Right. and we're on to the next. Back to square one. And during the trial, Rick made no statement. 
His attorney said that Rick feels no remorse for a crime he didn't commit. What the fuck? So in 2013, Rick Reif was 57 years old. So that would have made him only... Did I say 55? Or 57? I think 55, but either way, yeah. Rick was... He was 55. So he would have been 27 at the time of the murders. Got it. So a young guy to do that. Wow. So family members of Ed and Minnie made victim impact statements. Dennis, who was the son who had hired the PI who had vowed to bring them justice, made the following statement. This will never be forgotten for generations to come. How could anybody be so cruel and act with such malice to shoot two elderly and trusting people in the back and dump them in the forest? (sighs) So then Hazel, their daughter, said that her mother and her stepfather, so Ed and Minnie, just gave them a an awesome upbringing and just taught them to work really hard and that they didn't deserve what happened to them. Mm. And there were other statements by up there. They had a big family. Right. A lot of people spoke. And at the time that they're given these victim impact statements, Dennis and Hazel were just about the same age as Ed and Minnie were when they died. So they're oh. in their eighties. Oh my God. Because it's 27 years right. later. Well, 28 years later after this. Ugh. So, Dennis, after this, he passes away in 2021 at 94 years old. Shit. Hazel passed away in 2020 at 90 years old. So, they both outlived their parents. Good. And lived to see justice brought. That's so nice. So, Rick Reif was convicted of murder and was sentenced to 103 years in prison. Good. So that is the murder of Ed and Minnie Marin and a almost three decade search for their killers. We are coming up on the 37 year anniversary of their murder. That's horrid. Horrific. That makes me so sad and I don't know. Also grateful, I guess, that their kids were able to see justice, but also just what a fucking needless crime. Oh, it was horrible. And I bet if they had just asked, like, literally, I get the sense that Ed and Minnie were the kind of people that if they asked them for money, not that they would have ever done that, but if they were like, hey, can I borrow, that they probably would have helped them out because they just were kind, honest people. Well, and they sound like literally everybody who I know at, like, the church in my hometown that we go to Christmas Eve for, you know, with the little candlelit service. And Mm -hmm. they'd be the ones there, like, before it started, getting everything prepped and helping clean up at the other end of it. And And all excited for the little play and picture the white turtleneck under the sweater. I can see it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I feel with the reindeer like, earrings in my heart, the Mary Jane, like little flat loafer thing. Mm-hmm. And Ed probably had his like little quarter zip, you know, oh, cute little old guy that was mm-hmm. like quarter zips. And just like I can picture them for no reason other than like fucking money. And it was Christmas time. If anybody's going to be generous during the year, that is the time that you can pretty much walk up to any doorstep and be like, help. And people will, even if you're a piece of shit, Mm -hmm. which naturally they were, but like, and again, I've talked about on this, 
podcast losing people close to Christmas. Let alone to add the addition of that being like your mother's birthday. Yeah, there's just something so horrible about that time because it's a time when all you want to do is be with family and it's this constant reminder that you can't be right and there's this emphasis on that and it's happy and there's cheerful music and everywhere you go people are I mean we're trying to be nice and all the holiday movies with all of these really positive family moments and you're not going to have that and there's that bitterness and there's that frustration and there's that grief and that sadness and that's just what comes with losing somebody close to you that time of year yeah they've lost two people in a brutal way well before their time i mean they were still with it hosting like luncheons and everything there was no need for that and to be kidnapped in their own vehicle and where minnie had the wherewithal to try to cover up her own purse just to save something yeah horrible well, it's so, the other part of this crime that, like, really s- gets to me and sort of alerts my little ing- anxiety, tingly senses mm-hmm. is the idea that they were in their home, that they got there, and they said, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. We need more. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't know. It just, it really sits wrong. The, obviously, we've talked before about, like, Home is a safe place. Home Mm -hmm. is your safe haven. And the violation that comes with people coming into that, even if it's not for a murder, like they weren't murdered in their home, which Mm -hmm. is maybe a silver lining. I don't know. But like. But it makes me think of even the Mont Vernon case. Right. You entered. That's my home. That's my my place. And the idea that not only are you going to enter it, you're going to tell me that that's not enough. Like, what, I'm going to be the one that has to drive your ass to the bank? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not hustling for you to get my money. And Ed was probably trying to look so even keel because he was probably so afraid of what would happen to Minnie. Right. If he let on to what was going on. Right. Gosh. I mean, that might have been their entire life savings just stolen from them. Well, it was the 80s. It's $22,000. I mean... Well, the equivalent, yeah. Well, $8,500, yeah. $8, $8, $8, $8, $8, $8, $8, $8, $8. Yeah. But I mean, even the townspeople were like, no one was buying a car. And then the family, when they heard that, when the law enforcement told the family, yeah, well, Ed told the bank teller right, that this was what it was for. They were like, no, no one's buying a car. They were flabbergasted. They were like, that's a lie. Something happened here. Right. Because that's not true, you know? Ah, and how do you, like, that's the other thing. I always think about how do you sit with that for so long and know that it could be anybody. And it could be anybody that you knew, that you were friends with, that you were close with. Mm -hmm. And obviously, thank goodness, that wasn't the case. You don't know, especially in a small town like that. But Jake Shriver, who was close with them, knew the whole time. Right. And And he dealt with 17 years of shame and guilt that he carried with him. I don't think ever having moved away. Ugh. And it was only when his mom was dead and he knew that she couldn't be hurt by them anymore. 
did he come forward with it? And that's a different kind of victimization, too. Mm-hmm. Like, how's that kid not going to believe what those people say? How, even if they go to Alaska. Mm-hmm. How, you don't know who they know. You don't know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that he shouldn't have said something earlier. He most certainly should have. But I completely understand why he didn't. And I guess that... So Dennis, Denny, the one who had hired the PI, the one who... Yeah. I mean, they all took it hard, obviously. I get the sense that he took it the hardest in just needing to do something about it. Right. And I guess he and Jake had a conversation afterwards, and Denny was like, I forgive you, I understand. And so Jake didn't have to carry with him that... Guilt. Yeah, feeling like they would hate him because of that, too. That is so... I don't want to say like wholesome and wonderful, but that is so wholesome and wonderful. But it, I think it was just the idea that, okay, this we're moving forward. Right. And I mean. Well, because at the end of the day, it's not going to undo what happened. No. It's just going to help you with closure. And who knows how many other people that Rick and Greg killed, though. Right. You know, in Alaska, there's a lot of places they could leave a body that no one would find out there. Look, I love Alaska, but I just went. And I would go again in a heartbeat, but it is the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And that is today. Mm-hmm. That is not in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I can imagine there is a lot yet to be uncovered about crimes that have happened there. And it's just insane that the murders happened 37 years ago, but it hasn't even been 10 years since the trial. Yeah. But I'm glad that you know, Dennis and Hazel were able to make statements Yeah, there on behalf of their parents. And it's awful that they were that age to be that age themselves yeah. to know this Ugh. is what it was like when my parents, this is how my parents felt. This yeah. was their day to day when they were murdered. Your back doesn't go away. You know, when yeah. they were brutally murdered for no reason and for the fear that they grand. probably felt, you yep. know, I don't know. And at the end of the day, like it's a it's a lot of money. I don't want to say it's not. It just feels so insignificant for such a great loss, like such because an insignificant any, gain for such any a great amount loss. of money is insignificant when you compare it to the value of your loved one's lives. Absolutely. Yeah. Just life in general. Like you can listen, you can rob a bank and get eight grand. You, you can't revive somebody from the dead. Like it's just heartless it's fucking depraved it's awful and you know that this time of year i think there's a lot of greed yeah and that's what hit them so i want to talk a little bit about some of my sources here yeah um i had to look at oxygen obviously obviously um i also looked at the lm tribune okay and I actually watched an episode of Evil Kin. Ooh, I don't think I've heard of that one. It is, it's Oxygen-esque. Um, it was season four, episode nine, if you're interested in it. But a lot of TV shows have done episodes on this case, and I didn't watch them all. Right. Yeah. But I know that Oxygen did one, and then they have like this, it's like a spinoff special series called Homicide for the Holidays. Oh yeah, so they Oxygen. so I think it's this time of year specifically 
like October to December, they do only cases that happened on and around right Thanksgiving, Christmas, things like that. So it's usually all related to that. So I didn't watch she that episode. The turkey with something he'd never forget. You sound that good? just like it. Yes. Yay. <laughs> but they have ones that are like that. And so those are, I mean, I'm not, probably not going to watch like every episode of that, but I do want to like look into more cases that are just more time relevant right. given the time of year, because I think they are important to talk about. And in a time that is so happy, or at least the emphasis is being on so happy that there are families out there that are grieving brutal losses like that, that aren't just the natural passing of a loved one, but when a loved one was taken from them right. this time of year. Yeah. That always gets me. If you can't tell, no, feel I feel very tell. passionately <laughs> about it. So It is not the gift you want to receive this holiday season. No, and I think that that ruins every Christmas to come, or at least quite a few of them. I mean, well, how, how did this family get together for Christmas and not think about talk about grieve about what happened to their loved ones well and ultimately and in a way it's beautiful that they couldn't that that had to be a part of their Christmas because that was such a huge loss for them but also just so enmeshed like I can imagine growing up mom's birthday's on Christmas Mm-hmm. You bet your ass she's getting good gifts. Mm-hmm. You bet your ass you're the one making like breakfast or like mm-hmm. offering to bring it to her in bed. And then you go and like open your little gifts that you get and you spend the day like together as a family celebrating a church family. either Christmas Eve or later that day. Or- right. And like. You're not going to just not think about that you're not gonna not celebrate her you're not gonna not mourn that loss every single fucking Mm -hmm. christmas but at the same time i mean the beauty i guess of grief is that you sort of start to celebrate with the mourn so as christmas has come ah remember when we were eight and she did that dumb thing Mm -hmm. and everybody's like cackling and like that is kind of the beauty of it but it is such a haunting time to lose someone because there's that just very surface level cheer on everything everything's clad in glitter and bows and you're mm-hmm. like cool can we take the glitter off the tombstone for a second yeah here? and it's like, like and it's go 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 and it's this holiday party and this get together and yeah. this you know christmas swap and that whatever and i I don't know I take it very seriously with every case that we cover that like I need to close my eyes put myself in their position what am I feeling what am I seeing what am I you know right. hearing like what what is this experience what are all of the five senses telling me and if I put my position in Ed and like if I imagine being Ed and Minnie I am fucking terrified yeah and these are people that you don't know right that are probably high that Even if you don't know them well, you know them to be violent. Yeah. Because everybody knows everybody. They've gone through your home, at least make you get out cash or anything that you've got, make you hand that over, provide bank statements, and then with a sawed-off shotgun, probably have it pointed at you and say, go get in the car, we're driving now. Yeah, we're getting... It's a freezing December morning. You are probably spent the morning getting ready for the luncheon that you were about to host. Right. They probably just let themselves into your home because it's 1985. No one locked their doors and you were expecting company soon. Right. The music's probably playing. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, the 
shades are getting drawn and that's your last day. Like that is a horrid last day. And then Minnie has to witness her husband. And again, they antis- they believe that he was shot first. Right. I'm sure it was only a matter of seconds between the two. But those seconds must have felt like decades. <sighs> Regardless, whichever one of them witnessed the other die. Horrible. Well, and to watch someone that you've made that life with, that you've loved and laughed and grieved and mourned and like all of the things that come with a marriage. Mm-hmm. And particularly at this time, a second marriage, like they probably had to work through a lot of feelings about that as two churchgoers who were in a second marriage with kids that were coming from the first. Not to say that that is not a welcome, loved mixing pot, but like no, but in the in the eighties when that wasn't as certainly yeah. were going on there, and like to have gotten through all of that to get to a place where you and your partner are so happy, you have this like like a literal Taylor Swift lore. And your family is all around you. A great time. Like a cute little town. You've got your mm-hmm. little Christmas tree farm. You're getting ready for the holidays. And a holiday that is particularly big in, I mean, it's Christian based. Like mm-hmm. that is significant to them for family and religious reasons. Like, And her birthday, you know she got doted on. Oh, hell yeah. Or I expect that, kiss that she better did. began with K. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't actually affiliate with Kay at all. I have no idea about any of their things. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just what a gut-wrenching last 12 hours. Yeah. So, it's just that case struck me. Yeah. And I wanted to share it because I know it's important to talk about. And I know we always talk about how awful the loss is when we talk about, you know, kids being killed. Right. A mother of five, you know this woman's best friend, this dad of three, this whatever, right. this, you know, pillar in the community, this whatever. And I always, you know, again, rightfully so, we talk about how awful it was that they were taken before their time, how awful it was that this happened and that t- happened. And very few times, I feel like, do we really pay attention to when elderly people are murdered and that that is just equally as horrific and awful. Yeah. And that their families are left to put... Like, you, there's no making sense of any of those things, but there's still no making sense in this. Well, and it's it's hard because, right, when you think about kids, you think about, like, oh, this would have been their seventh birthday and in a natural, healthy, happy mm-hmm. life. Seven is a thriving age, and this is what we'd be doing. And then when you think about someone in the, their 80s or... I don't know, 60s plus, I feel like that is harder for people to wrap their mind around. But, dude, their kids live to their 90s. Mm-hmm. They, they probably had, had Yeah, they probably had a decade left. And, I mean, that's not to say that anybody, like, that the weight of a loss should be measured by the time that is lost. And the time that they didn't have. But, but still. It's still important to remember that, like, when you're losing a parent, you're, depending on their kids' ages and what they had going on, I know they had grandkids, like, they're potentially never meeting another grandkid, depending on how far along they are in Mm -hmm. their family creation. They are potentially missing out on, like, needed advice from mom and dad. What the fuck did you guys do when I ran out and snuck Mm -hmm. out at 17? I don't know what to do with this kid. Like, that's who you talk to. And that's such a devastating loss. And yay, they were adults and had probably a better tool belt equipped to handle it. But 
that still doesn't make it not a significant loss. No, and it's it's awful. And so I wanted to bring some attention to that. I know it's not a pleasant case. Yeah. I well, think we need a reprieve. Agreed. I was going to say it's an important one, but we should we should lighten this up. We should. Yeah. Okay, you guys. So Allie and I decided that a very fun and lighthearted way to wrap this up would be some Florida Man headlines because it is one of our faves. I just enjoy reading them. They're so good. All right. Um, I've got a good one. Start us off. Florida man tries to rob GameStop while wearing transparent bag on head. Aww. <laughs> so close. No cigar. Uh, no, no cigar at all. Um, Florida man wearing a shirt that reads, who needs drugs? No, seriously. I have drugs. T-shirt. <laughs> Arrested for possession of drugs. <laughs> Florida man admits killing goat and drinking its blood for pagan sacrifice. Would still like to be senator. <laughs> Florida man charged with assault with a deadly weapon after throwing alligator through Wendy's drive-thru window. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wait, one more time? Okay, so he was arrested. Yeah. And charged uh-huh. with assault with a deadly weapon. Yeah. For throwing an alligator through a Wendy's drive-thru window. Oh my I'm gosh. imagining a baby. I mean, the small <laughs> ones, like like a paper airplane, like you just f- throw that throw that sucker in. Um, all I can picture is him like trying to cannon an adult sized alligator <laughs> through like the pay window, and they're like, "Sir, we do not accept alligators as currency." I feel like he ordered a baconator, and he was like, "Hey, fuck you!" It's and took still six forty three, please. <laughs> Florida man tried to run to Bermuda in inflatable bubble rescued by Coast Guard again. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> uh, one more maybe? One more. I just appreciate this one. Florida man leaves jobs at Burger King, steals all their nuggets because fuck it. <laughs> His quote. I love that. <laughs> All right, I got I got it. I got a good last one. Mm-hmm. Florida man arrested after hitting girlfriend in face with burrito. <laughs> oh. That took a turn. Sure did. Um would that be floppy? What? I don't know. With like the burrito? the burrito? Yeah, like would that hurt? I guess it depends where it's from. The ones from Chipotle are like a small child. That's true. That would be like getting hit with a small brick um, or a large brick, actually. You know, so I guess that depends. So I guess, yeah, that is more of a weapon, depending. What do you think? Um, Chipotle burrito or alligator? Who wins in a fight? Mm. <laughs> Chipotle burrito. I mean, yeah, coming out, right? Eyes, he's down. Well, fair. I was going to say either... The weight just takes the thing right out, or he eats it and he's shitting his brains out. So. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he's busy for the next hour, no matter what. And that's a win in my book. Even <laughs> if the alligator eats the brain, <laughs> it wins. <laughs> oh my uh, god! All right, guys. So, hey, thanks for sticking in with us. Just a good reminder here: we're coming to the end of our t-shirt giveaway. So please enter, enter. Uh, you can do that by leaving a little comment in our Instagram. So that's at about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. 
meaning that's A-B-O-U-T period T-I-M-E period F-O-R period G-R-U-E period C-R-I-M-E period P-O-D because podcast was too long. Mm-hmm. You could also enter, um, you can enter by, again, commenting, adding one of your friends who doesn't follow us, sharing us on your story, or you can certainly email us if you don't have an Instagram. We're not counting you out. Allie, how would they do that? So you would email us over at about time numeric for tc at gmail.com. So that is a b o u t t i m e number four tc at gmail.com. You can send us an episode request. You can just say hi. You can tell us your favorite Florida man. You can. Ooh, that's a good one. Give us some pod pets, which we are loving and having withdrawals from. Yes, please, more pod pets. Um, I don't even care if they're yours. Like, show me the bird that was at your aunt's house for thanksgiving this year or the cat that always stares at you when you walk outside oh my gosh yeah or the one that you see like in um kind of the neighborhood wooded area that you're like are you good buddy do you have a home and you always try to like find him and follow him but you know he has a home he's just like a little outdoor guy make sure he has a home and if he doesn't bring him home and give him loves and cuddles and And like warm milk and like a cute little collar like a nice little bed and yeah and then he'll make all the biscuits on your little legs oh i love cats all right i'm gonna go snug mine you guys if i look at my watch (laughs) that was about about time time for true crime crime. later see tuesday (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.